0: Amen. We're going to get into something tonight that is going to be a little bit deeper than what you're used to. I try to minister to you as God directs me, and I can't minister to you in my own understanding, and my own intellect. And so God really impressed upon me to minister to you on leadership, Um, For the next six months, six months sound like a long time. But when I say it this way, for the next six lessons, we will talk about leadership. And as leaders, we have to be examples. Anybody know that? As leaders, we are what we call influencer. If you're not influencing anybody, then you're not leading anybody. And so a leader is one that leads. A leader is one that influences. And so if we're going to make a difference and impact in people's life, then we have to influence them. We have to lead them. And so all of your actions must be an action of exemplary. So you must be an example. I, I heard Brother Hodges said that um, I will not be somebody's excuse. And what that meant was he's saying, I don't want to be the person that someone looking at saying, "Well, what about them? They're not doing it. Well, what about them? They live like this. But what about them? They do this. And he says, I don't want to be anybody's excuse. I don't want to be anybody's excuse. Excuse, And so in leadership, we need to make sure we are examples in leadership. So we'll start our series tonight on the teaching of Because We Are His. Um, This is not my um, um, lesson. This is a preacher within the uh, organization by the name of Raymond Woodward. I believe Raymond Woodward is probably one of the greatest preacher in all of the just across our all denominations and denominations and I just believe that he's an awesome teacher he presents the word of God with with scripture, he presents the word of God thoroughly and he is one that will go back and back and back to see where something started to present it so you understand it, so it's his lesson, but I went through it over and over, I went through it through and through thoroughly and I went and looked up what I need to look up to as well to make sure I know that what he's saying is actually accurate so i'm looking forward to sharing this with you um our first two lessons i'm sure is going to deal with our subject because we are his which will talk a lot about holiness because we are his will talk a lot about holiness i love that title it was an eye catcher for me right away it just hits me because we're his i don't know what you think about when you think about because we belong to him Right away, once you realize I belong to him, that, that started started my wheels turning. Because we're his. Because we're his. Oh, Lord. And so that started making a big impact in my life. So we'll talk about a little bit. Um, I'm going to read to you one scripture if you want to turn with me. Um, because we're going to start off and show you how we can go wrong in the teachings of God how we can go wrong in the teachings of God, because we have to find out where things came from. How did we originate to this? How did we get to this point? Is this biblical or is it just something that we're talking about? So let's start to understand how things become what they are today, how we are in a place where we're practicing what we're practicing can I tell you this? This is very important for you to know. I've, I've lived this myself. I've, I've, I've lived this where I've learned that Christian leadership crosses all barriers. Secular leadership can only deal with secular issues. Christian leadership, if you are a Christian leader, that leadership ability and skill will be used and can be used in any venue in the world. But secular leadership can only be used in a secular settings or setting. So it's very important to learn how to be a Christian leader. Because as a Christian leader, you can go any place and lead. One of the things that we don't realize about our children, I see it in my little ones, is that they have let me use the young people word, they have swag in school. Because they've experienced this thing here that they've been experiencing two days a week when they come to church. They learn how to connect with people. They learn how not to be shy. They learn how to communicate. They learn words that normally they would not learn. And so when they get to school, they're very comfortable communicating because of this. So that's, Proof of what this can do for you when you really take it all in, if you do something about it. So let's start with this, 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 the scripture here in Acts. I love this text. Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 3 through 6. Not sure if you know that this was in the Bible. <laughs> Acts chapter 6, verse 3 through 6. It says in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye. Out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. It says, who we may appoint over. So it's talking about leaders, right? So look out among you. They needed leaders. And they said, look out among you, Christian people. Look out among you. We need leaders. So he says, look out among you and get seven men that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, or if you want to call him Stephen, either way, same guy, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, And Prochorus. And Nicanor. And Timon. And Parmenas. And Nicholas. A proselyte of Antioch. Whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed. They laid their hands on them. Check out those names. Because those names are important to remember. Now. Now. Let me give you my opening statement, my dialogue about holiness. One of the current trends making the rounds in the church growth theory is that we must constantly change the church so it can relate to our changing society. Hence, the recent excess of seeker services... And user-friendly congregations. Never mind that our society is obsessed with self. Polluted by immorality. Repulsed by commitment. And smug in its new tolerance. One that tolerates everything except biblical absolutes. So we like to tolerate everything. We got a lot of stuff that we discuss now that we tolerate. But as soon as we speak biblical truth, there's a problem. But we tolerate everything else. But we won't tolerate biblical truth. I'm afraid that much of the growth we have recently seen in religious circles have been more of an infectious swelling, as ministries and movements are built on human innovation rather than biblical instructions. I am all for any change in methods that allow us to preach the gospel more effectively, but the Bible expressly forbid us to change its message. Some things like the A- in the music scale, cannot be changed even slightly without destroying everything around it. So if, if we try to change the Word of God, we're going to destroy everything about the Word of God. And many times we're going to find ourselves believing something, thinking it's the Word of God, when it's not because we changed something about it. So just that little bit, what did the devil say to Eve? Had God said, all it takes is a little, uh, and move something out of the way. And before we know it, we're believing something that's really not legitimate because it's not really what it is. This study on practical holiness will deal with a foundational issue of apostolic faith. That is, does the Holy Ghost affect the outward appearance of a vessel he chooses to dwell in? Or doesn't it? Does the Holy Ghost affect your life when he dwells in it or no? Remember we talked about what was the topic of our sermon Sunday? Heavenly treasure in earthen vessel? If the, if the treasure, who is the word of God? Who is the spirit of God? If it's dwelling in you, should you stay the same like before you got saved? That's just the question. I didn't answer it. Just asking you. Should you stay the same? Should you stay the same way from, from we got to realize, when we get saved, where where God is pulling us out of the world of sin and into his kingdom, should we stay the same exact way when he pulls us out? Just a question. Just a question. Should we behave the same way? Should we talk the same way? Should we look the same way? I'm letting you answer that. I'm not answering it. I'll get to it eventually. I'll get to it eventually. Do the standards of conduct and appearance given in Scripture apply to us today? Or should they be discarded in favor of a lifestyle that is less conspicuous and less offensive to our modern society? So should we not do what God said because we don't want to be conspicuous Because we figure this is modern day time. I I don't need to look or talk or act the same as how God intended back in the day. Because this is a different time. Hmm? This study that we're studying will concentrate on the four or so ideas in the area that we have most maligned by those who find holiness lifestyle to be too Burdensome or embarrassing. There are some of us today that find the holiness lifestyle too burdensome or embarrassing. I can't say it enough. I don't know about you. Who wants to be hung on a cross with a cloth wrapped around them showing all of these stuff? I don't think anybody wants that. Well, that's how he was hung on the cross. He didn't have clothes on. The scripture we just read. The seven men that they chose to be leaders over some of the work of God, over serving. One of them named was Nicholas. Wasn't it? Remember, remember the names we pointed out? Listen to this. Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch. Go back and see what we just read. He was one of the first seven church deacons. Chose to look after the business matter of the early church. That was in Acts chapter 6, 3 and 5. 3 through 5. According to the writings on heresy. Heresy is false doctrine. So according to those writings, Nicholas eventually backslid and introduced the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to the church. His doctrine came about as a knee-jerk reaction to the legalism of the Judaizer. It abused Paul's doctrine on the grace of God and introduced a false freedom into the church. Nicholas and his followers erred in combating one extreme teaching with another extreme teaching. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John compared Nicholas, he says, the Nicolaitans or the Nicolaitans to Balaam in the Old Testament who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Balaam was was successful in... Balaam was unsuccessful in cursing Israel from without. Listen to this. But he taught them to mix godliness with worldliness. Numbers chapter, Numbers 22 through, t- I'm sorry, I don't have the, um, I don't have the, um, the chapter. I only have the verses, so I got to go back and get you that. But what he taught them to do was to mix godliness with worldliness. And they cursed themselves from within. So let me break it down to you like this. The people of God could not be cursed. Balaam wanted to curse them and he tried to speak curses against them and he could not curse them. So what did he say? I know how to get them. I will go among them and let them mix worldliness with godliness and they will curse themselves. The Bible is so clear and it never stops. A house divided within itself will fall. It's been saying that over and over. The devil can't stop you unless you let him in. The devil can't defeat you unless you let him in. So if you're doing well and he can't get you, he can't get you from without, he's trying to throw all kind of things at you. It's bouncing off. And he's wondering, ah I can't get him. It's just bouncing off. He says, I got to get your mind. I got to get you to start doing wrong. That's how he got Eve had God said. So now he got her looking into his stuff. And once she started applying his doctrine, she cursed herself. Once we start applying the the, the things that are not of God, that's how we start cursing ourselves. That's how we start our, our, our downslide is by using other things to combine it with the things of God. Because the things of God, the Word of God is so sound and so powerful, it is indestructible. And you become indestructible. When you live and apply the Word of God in your life, you are indestructible. And the only way Satan can get the best of you is by getting you to not listen to the Word of God, not obey the Word of God, and just mix it with something else. And then he says, ooh, got you now, because you're going to destroy yourself, not me. It's how the devil works. It's how he works. He can't get you just by throwing stuff at you, but if he can get you to start doing something outside of the Word of God. This same spirit was behind Nicholas, his doctrine, which was based on Greek dualism. He declared that Christians, since they were sinners saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. His teachings would later be the bias of the doctrine of eternal security. One saved, always saved. When you hear people say one saved, always saved, you tell them Judas was saved one time and then after that he just started doing wrong and he went to hell. And even the practice of the confessional, confessing to a priest while still living in sin, that was a doctrine from Nicholas. The first, one of the first deacons, he was an apostolic man of God. But he didn't want to apply the word of God in his life, so he started his own doctrine. Do we know that's how all these different denominations started? Because somebody was in an apostolic church one day and says, I don't like that part of the teaching. All of that other stuff, that was good. But this part from this part, I don't like that. So guess what they do? They leave that church and they go start a church and implement that thing that they believe in. They still use all the other stuff that they heard before and they liked. But the thing that they didn't like that was still just like everything else they liked, they said, I'm not using that. I'm just going to implement my own thing. And that's what Nicholas did. That's how false teaching get into our life because somebody didn't like something. about. Listen, if we wrote the Bible, we probably would love everything about it, but we didn't. God wrote it. He used the hands of man, but it was his voice. It was his word. It was his spirit that got the word on paper for us. So we're not going to like everything about this thing. Who likes to fast? Well, don't get mad at God. Don't get the, you know that that's just His word. It helps us since His teaching required no outward or inward change to be saved. He and his followers attracted large number of converts. You hearing me? Because Nicholas introduced this teaching to people that made Christianity easy, and you don't have to make any changes. He started having a large following. Most large churches do not live that holiness lifestyle. You're going to look at most large churches, they don't look, they don't act, they don't live holy. Because they have believed in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which say you don't have to do all that to be saved. You know what's funny about that? I know everybody have their own mind and everybody think differently. But salvation, Kamal, is so important to me, I'm going to be an extremist with it. It's just me. It is too serious and too important for me to just be comfortable saying, well, I don't know how important that is, and start to try to figure something out. No, too important for me to start looking at it like that. All right. Some people says, why live in legalism and bondage of holiness and sanctification when you can be free in Jesus? So, the way how we look, the way how we talk, the way how we dress, some people say, man, that's legalism. Why look like that? If you got God, why aren't you free? I hear you. I'm still asking the question though. Do you will you really feel good in your life that you're living for Christ, but you still look the same way when you wasn't living for Christ? I don't know. That's just just the question I'm asking. Like, how would you feel? I'm living for Christ. Jesus is Lord, and I'm yeah, I'm a Christian. But when we put two pictures next to each other, same as I look before I was living for Christ, the same way I'm looking, living for Christ, when I wasn't living for Christ, I'm li- same way. I look at my pictures now, I would not lie to you, maybe I'm deceived, but I look at some of my pictures when I was living not for Christ, and I look at my, I said, man, I look better now than I did then. I look older then, and I was younger then, I'm like, whoa, give me Jesus. Because I feel like I look better. So if we're looking the same way after we've been born again, we have to ask ourselves, does that make sense? Is it just that easy? Just I just got born again and that's all? Nicholas violated apostolic teaching on sanctification, which was part of their teaching on salvation. In apostolic belief. A holiness lifestyle included standards of dress type of activities they participated in, and other codes of conduct. You can read it in Romans six one and two romans uh, uh, Romans twelve one and two first Thessalonians four three through seven, first Timothy two eight through ten hebrews twelve fourteen first Peter, one. 15 through 16, come see me later if you need those again.. <laughs> By the Nicholas taught that these externals of holiness were not important. God, however, had a different opinion twice in revelation. Revelations chapter 2 and 6. Revelations 2 and 15. God said that he hated the teaching of the Nicolaitines, and he still hates it today. So Nicholas introduced false doctrine on holiness and God in Revelation says, I hate that teaching. That's where all this came from. Be who you are. You ain't got to change. Just doesn't matter. That's who introduced it. A deacon in the apostolic church. He was tongue talker, baptized in Jesus name, man of God, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, the Bible said. And that's who started teaching on you can look at whatever way you want and live for God. That's who started it. In the book of Acts, chapter two, verse thirty eight through forty. 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39, For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Listen to this one, 40, And with many other words Did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation? Here's another question. What did Peter mean when he said, save yourself, save yourself from this untoward generation? Remember, Peter had preached to them, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They did that because that's what Peter told them. But then Peter went again, went ahead and says, save yourself. What is he talking about? How can they save themselves? Because we know we're saved by grace. We're saved by God. How can they save themselves? And what that had meant was, now that you have Christ, now that you repented, now that you're baptized in Jesus' name, now that you have God's spirit, what you have to do is keep yourself sanctified. Keep yourself away from things that will make you unholy. Keep yourself away from things that is ungodly. Listen, if an alcoholic is told don't go around alcohol, what should we, the children of God, do when we get saved? Now, I'm not telling you Cause it's wrong. I'm not telling you not to be around people that's not Christians because that's, that's just ridiculous. We're supposed to be around them, show them love and, and teach them the word of God. But what I'm saying is if you know that there's wrong going on someplace, you don't go into that place and part, and, and, and hang around that. It's going to pull you into doing wrong. And that's just common sense. Biblical perspective on holiness. Holiness is an absolute requirement for Christians. Remember, I told you a while back, there is no such thing as an unholy church. But yet and still, we hear people say, "You go to that holiness church." You tell somebody you apostolic or Pentecostal, they say, "That's a holiness church, isn't it?" And you just want to smile and says, "So what else is there? An unholiness church?" I mean, I don't understand. There's no other church but the holiness church. I think that's pretty funny. Well, let's clarify that. First Peter 1 and 15, it says, But as he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God told us to be holy, Brother D. He says you have to be holy. Now, you got to think that makes all the sense in the world. God is a holy God. How would a holy God deal with unholy people? I would love to know that. Holy God. Let's go in the natural. Kings. High society people. Do they have company with you? You go to Jordan over in the Middle East and tell about you want to hang out with the king and see if he hang out with you. Try to talk to him and see if he talk to you. So, so why should God talk to unholy people when He's a holy God? We have to become holy in order to have relation with Him. That's why He said, "Be holy as I am holy," because He's saying without you being holy, you 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 just no, it's not going to work. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? God hates those who reject holiness. God hates those who reject holiness. First Thessalonians, I know this is going to be tough um, sledding for all of us, but bear through it. I'm giving you truth, and then after I'm done with it, you can decide what you want to do with truth. First Thessalonians 4 and 7, For God had not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despised it, despised not man, but God, who had also given us his Holy Spirit. So when we have a problem with holiness, we have a problem with God. Mm-hmm. Second Peter 2 and 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately or privily shall bring in damnable heresy even denying the Lord that brought them and bring them upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So always remember, if we were good, we would have been saved a long time ago. We're not good. And if we leave ourselves up to ourselves, we're going to find ourselves falling our bad ways again. Do you know when you get saved, when you get born again, you repent of your sins, you get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost you your living, do you know your old nature is still there? It didn't go anywhere, it didn't disappear. Who you are, the things you like, the things you did wrong and liked while you were doing them, it's still there. It's only a matter of you allow God's word and God's spirit to govern your life and what you feel and what you like and the wrong that you do is suppressed because the word of God and the spirit of God is what you're allowing to govern your life. But we all still have to deal with the stuff that we like that's wrong. This is why sometimes, you know, I smile when, you know, I might have conversations with individuals and they say, man, I'm struggling. And usually I say, tell me who is not struggling. (laughs) I'm, I'm laughing all the time. I'm struggling. Okay, nobody else is. Just you, talk to me. Everybody struggles with different things. We're all striving to make heaven our home. And we're all struggling with different things. If you're struggling with a lot of things... Just take one thing at a time and work at that in overcoming that. We're all struggling. Nobody's better than anybody. And nobody is walking this earth that's a Christian that is not struggling. They say they're not. They're lying. As long as you're in this flesh, as long as you're in this body, you have did so much wrong in this body that is familiar with wrong. And the only way you're going to get it together is allowing the word and the spirit to work. We're all struggling. I don't care. Some of us just know how to present the the look of, I'm good. And others just like, I'm just struggling. But don't, 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 don't. don't. You're fooling yourself when you come up, you know, because I'm struggling. And you think that's supposed to be like the excuse. No, we're all struggling. So there is no excuse. Everybody got a struggle going on. It comes down to the, get born again and allow the Word and the Spirit to work in your life. When the Word and the Spirit is working in your life, that's how you overcome your struggle. And that's the only way we all can make it, Brother Daryl. Nobody's better than anybody. All of us need to make sure we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our life. And we have to rely on God's Word and the Spirit to overcome our nasty flesh and our bad ways. It's the only way we all struggling. Don't make it like it's only you. All right. We're moving along. We understand we're in the struggle together. We're in this struggle together. God don't like people that don't like holiness, though. God demands, listen to this, God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. Remember I keep telling you guys, we're not hiding anything from anybody. You can, you, you can say whatever you want, but if you keep doing something over a period of time and I'm watching, that's just who you are. No sense of getting mad. Because here's the, here's the truth. Who in here like to show their weakness and failure? Show your hand. You do? Okay. We got one. They like to share, they like to say, here is my weakness and my failure, everybody, look. We usually don't like that. So if we don't like to show our weakness and failure, why do why would we show them? We don't want to. They just came out. We don't like to show them. So you got to man up and woman up and realize what's going on in your life is something that you need to work at. Because we don't like the show, they even come out. It's who you are. Acceptance says this is a problem. Because no matter what, it keeps coming up and it keeps coming out. This is a problem. God, extern- God demands an, an, an external witness of our internal. Uh, an external witness of our internal holiness. So if holiness is on the inside, it got to come out on the outside. If holiness is not on it, there is no way to be unholy and show holy. It's not possible. I'll get to this. I know I'm going to be skipping because there's a whole lot of teaching here. So, for instance, stop pointing. Let me give you an example. I know y'all not women, but y'all women for right now. (laughs) So this woman right here, stop pointing at this woman over here. And say she's supposed to be a Christian and look how she look. Why am I telling you that? Because you got to be smart enough to know she can look holy. But if she act wild, if her mouth is filthy, if she talk bad, she don't love people, don't do right. Then she's only just putting on something on the outside. She's not really down. But somehow we want to make the whole, well, she ain't right. Because she looking like, just don't no need to say that. Whatever is on the inside comes out. And so if somebody's trying to cover up what's on their inside by looking a certain way, just just ignore them. Don't use them as your excuse because they're not a good excuse. It just means they're trying to cover up what's on the inside. That inside is unholy. And instead of letting everybody see that it's unholy, I'm just going to cover up, look like I'm holy on the outside, but deep down I'm a mess. That person needs a whole lot of help, so we don't even need to talk about them. Because when you got a problem and you're trying to cover up the problem as opposed to taking that problem to Jesus, you've got big problems. So no need for me to criticize you. But whatever is on the inside is supposed to come out on the outside. It always worked that way. Whatever is in you, it will come out of you. And no matter how much you're going to plead, Here's a good example that, 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 that I use. Never forgot. Now, some of you have heard this before, but some of you haven't heard it. Never forgot when I went to court with one of my guys, and he stood before the judge and represented himself in a stellar Christian way. And the judge, the prosecutor, and everybody in that court, because the Holy Ghost was in that court, knew that this young man had changed his life. They knew. They saw it. They heard his voice. They felt the presence of God. They probably didn't know what it was, but they knew whatever the presence of God was convinced them that he was telling the truth. And the only thing that prosecutor could have said was, we can tell your change, but we still have to deal with what you have done. Because what you have done is still what you did. It didn't change. All the stuff you did wrong, that never went anywhere. It's just now you turned your life around and you're doing, but we still got to deal with that. So I'm telling you that to say what we have done is what we've done. We can't do anything about it, but we can do something about how we move forward. That's what I'm saying. We need to do something about moving forward and try to begin to work on whatever is on the inside comes out on the outside. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Huh. We, we don't realize this. When the Bible says we need to be holy as God is holy. If we were living in the world and we're not saved, it means we're unholy. Yes. And so when we give our life to God, it means we are now pursuing holiness. What holiness really means is separation and consecration. So when we are unholy, it means we're, we're, we're joined. We're, 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 we're we're joined with unholy ways. And so when we give our life to God, what it means is we separate ourselves from that unholy stuff. But what a lot of people do is stop in the middle because holiness is separation And joining. So I separate from something that's unholy, Kamal, from the world. And I have to join to something that's holy. And there's only one that's holy. So holiness means separation from unholiness and joining myself to what's holy. But a lot of people, they separate. We give our life to God and we separate from the world. But we never join ourselves to God. And the only way you can become holy is by joining, is by having God in your life. He has to work because there is no other way to be holy. He's the only one that's holy. And we can only become holy with him working in our life. So if you just give your life to God and just get saved and never join yourself to God, then you can't be holy. So holiness is not just, okay, I I divorced the world and I'm living for God. No, no, you got to join yourself to God to become holy. Holiness, separation from and joining to. Holiness is not a mean of earning salvation, but a result of earning salvation. Did that go over your head? Holiness is not a means of earning salvation, but a result of earning it. So... You can't just start to act holy and it means that that will help you get saved. You can You can try your best to look modest all you want. If you're not born again, you're not going to be holy. However, when you're born again, the result of you living for God will bring you to a place of being holy. Yes? Mother and spirit Modern spirit-filled Christians often pride themselves on being holy on the inside while remaining unaffected on the outside. This is a grievous error before God. We must have holiness both inside and out. Inside and out. Practical holiness is how you show is, uh, practical holiness. Is how your internal holiness affect your external lifestyle. I can't say it enough. When we become holy, we separate ourselves from all ungodliness and we join ourselves to God. And when we do that, there should be some evidence. There should be some evidence. Where did holiness teaching originate? Can I say this? Um, It's probably somewhere in the teaching. But let me just say this. Holiness. You're going to like this. Holiness, brother D, have everything to do with maturity as a Christian. I'm going to slow it down right now. If You have been living for God for any amount of time, and you are maturing in God. You will find yourself looking holy, acting holy, living holy, because we grow in God. We don't just get saved and stay at that place and never move. We grow in God. So as you grow in God, you begin to find yourself practicing the things of God. You're learning more and you are applying what you're learning in your life. Now I understand a lot of people, what I'm teaching tonight, a lot of people wasn't taught it. People that's been in church a long time haven't been receiving this teaching. So I'm elated to teach this. So here's an example. If you've been living for God And you're not growing, maturing. It means that you're being taught, but you're not applying the teaching. There's a verse in the Bible that says, my people perish for lack. Or they reject. He says, after he said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. He says, you have rejected knowledge. So, if we are a Christian, we're supposed to be growing. If I see you today as a Christian woman, next year when I see you, I'm supposed to be able to see growth in your life. Because you're being taught and you're growing. And so if you're a healthy Christian, it means you have accepted the teachings and you're applying them to your life. So I'm supposed to see growth in you. So here's the thing. That's tricky with holiness. Not only is holiness a biblical teaching, scriptural, doctrinal teaching, but also when you reject it, it means now you rejected God's word, which puts you in a sinner's category. So if you are receiving teaching on holiness and you decide, well, I just don't see how, you have rejected God's word. And that that means you have sinned. Anytime we see God... What does the Bible, the Bible says, to him to know good and do it not to him is a sin. So when we're taught the word of God and we see it in scriptures, but we just go by our feelings. It means we've rejected God's word, which means we've sinned against God. That's how heavy holiness is. But check this out. You get baptized today in Jesus name. You're of your sins, you get baptized, you get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus come back right now. You go to heaven and you don't. All right, let me work with you. His immaturity of not understanding holiness is acceptable to the Lord. He just got baptized. What does he know about holiness? He's just learning these things. So God already understands that I'm good with him. But you now, that's been saved for five years, and I know you've been sitting on some good teaching and preaching, and you decide, I don't want to do that. You have rejected my word, which means you're in sin. And when I come back, if you're in sin, you don't go with me. Ooh. This is how heavy this thing is. So that's why we can never, but shit, hold on. You don't know where she is in her maturity in Christ. Her development in Christ. You just have to know you being taught and what are you doing with what you're being taught. That's what's important. So holiness, not only that is scriptural doctrine, it's a matter of maturity. And if you've been in church for a while and you don't understand holiness, it's either you haven't been taught it. Or you've been taught it and you rejected it. It's up to you. So, if we reject the teaching, then we have sinned against God. We're on the wrong side. And the only way to fix that teaching is to start doing it. There are some sins, the only way to fix it is to start doing it. You know how sometimes we think we can just do wrong and say, Lord, forgive me. Okay, but did you fix it? We can't just say forgive me without fixing it. So if I've been disobeying God's word, and I said, God, forgive me, the way to fix it is start obeying his word. That's how I fix it. And so if I realize I've been immature because I've been rejecting God's word, then I need to fix it by start obeying God's word. And some things is not about I need to pray about it. Some things is I'm, I'm not the... Just think about it. There's, God didn't tell us to do stuff that we couldn't do. I'm supposed to just do it because He told me to do it. How you do that? Just do it! How do you not curse? Just speak slowly and calculate what you're saying. You're gonna to have to talk at some point in time, but but I'm just I'm just trying to give you a reference point to how you have to just something you just have to do them. You can't say, "Let me pray." No, God already said it in order. Just do it. How do I stop lying? Don't lie. So when you when there's a lie, you got to just and believe me, sometimes you got to fight with that. I can just tell a lie and make this all go away. Or I can just tell the truth and deal with the consequences. And when you tell the truth and deal with the consequences, God is right in the middle of the consequences with you. You can tell a lie and get away with it and God is not with you. Because the Bible says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So when you start lying, you you got him supporting you. But when you tell the truth, it might get you in a little bit of trouble at that moment. But guess what? God is on your side saying, I got your back, son. I got you because you're doing what's right. It's up to you. All right. What are holiness standards? One of the things that have come into play lately is we say that's a standard. That's not Bible, so I don't have to do it. And there's a difference between standards and scripture. So let's listen to this. In the Old Testament, a standard was a banner that was lifted up or displayed before the people on a pole as a rallying point or a signal. Talks about it in Numbers 21, 8 through 9. This same word is used to indicate the pole upon which the bronze serpent was placed. It was customary to give a standard as a token of protection and that was regarded as the surest pledge of fidelity, meaning loyalty. God's lifting up or setting up a standard implies a particular presence, protection, and leading of his people in the execution of righteousness. So a standard was to protect... It was about the presence of God and it was about the identity of God's people. So when you heard a standard, a standard, if people are saying my church standard is this, it means that there have been a precedent set for the presence of God to be upon you because God is going to be in the midst of the presence of In the midst of when you practice these different things that has been instructed. So if God, if if the man of God or woman of God in your life say, you know, here is a standard you want to put into your life. Practice it. Guess what? Just because they told you that they have seen something and it means this will keep God's presence in your life. It also is a protection for you. And it also is a standard that will help you be in the will, keep you in the will of God. Standards we're set by God not just man didn't just come up with standard God came up with standards first so a standard is to protect you it's it's not it's not supposed to be a stumbling block or a burden for you a standard is something to, that's instituted to protect you and to lead you and to keep you righteous Quite simply, holiness standards are not the tangible part of holiness that is in the internal work of the Spirit. However, they are external signs of an authentic work of salvation and subsequent Christian maturity have taken place. So, the standards that God had gave His people first, what it meant was, when you saw this flag flying over, it says that, This is the people of God and they live by a certain standard. Still today, how do we distinguish Jews, Muslims, how do we distinguish them today? Don't you think we should be distinguished in some kind of way to say who we are or whose we are? So God always had a standard to say, here is who we are. Take us or leave us. Here is who we are. So you have that kind of standards. Now, when you deal with another kind of standard, now this is scriptural standards. Bible standards which are explicitly commanded in scripture and demands Immediate obedience. So then you have standards that was written in the word of God that demanded that you obey scripture. So standards, when it's not dealing with internal holiness, is still something that you need to follow because it protects you and it leads you into righteousness. So you have to pay attention to standards as well as biblical teachings that teach you about holiness. You need to know who you are and whose you are. Israel never had a problem with the world knowing we're the Israelites. And Jehovah God, the unseen God, is our God. They never had a problem with that. You go in the Middle East and you see the Muslim women, they have their own stuff on. And they don't have a problem that you know who they are. Why do we want to be Christians? And we want to be confused with the world why I want people to know I'm a child of God I want people to know if things get bad you can come talk to me because I've got the answers I want people to know that I am a Bible believer and that I know what the answers are to eternal life I want people to know that about me because I want them to come and talk to me I don't want them guessing there are a lot of nice people out there, but they ain't Christian. We always, I always hear this. There are people, the Bible says, we can only know God. Uh, we People have this conversation all the time. We can only know, know love if we know God, right? Because God is love. And so we know that. And somebody would say, well, Mr. and Mrs. Roberts been married for 60 years, and they're not a Christian, but they made it. What you trying to tell me? Mr. and Mrs. Roberts don't know love? Mr. and Mrs. Roberts do whatever they had to do to be together and stay together and make it through life. They still don't know love because love is a person. God is love, and so if you don't know God, you don't know love. What you're living on is whatever you're living on; it it works for you, and that's fine. It works for you; that's cool. But it still don't mean you know love. So we can't get this thing mixed up in saying that. Well, you know that ain't necessary because blah blah. Well, everything that you think the way it should look don't mean that's the way it is. So we we can't allow situations where you know we can look at people's life and say well they're doing this and you know it seems fine to me and blah 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 blah. what works for them is what works for them but if we're going to be Christian we need to go back to the book and say what does God say right. I can't go by what worked for you brother or what worked for you sister I got to go by what God says and while it might be tough in me trying to get you know do what I got to do it doesn't mean it's it's not good see I don't know what what is really ever good for us that was ever easy? What was ever good for you was ever easy? You try to figure that one out, huh? Breathing, yeah. All right, all right. You realize those God that make you breathe, okay, okay. All right. But 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 I can't think of too many too many things that, you know. Old-time people say, easy come, easy go. Because anything that's, that's easily achieved is not important. It's not that valuable. Our external standard type of Pharisee and hypocritical stuff and legalism, here is what you got to remember about holiness. Holiness is about a relationship. It's not about legalism. It's not about how I can show somebody this or show that holiness is about my relationship with God on the basis of love, grace, responsibility to God and gratitude to God. I wonder how we would treat people if clearly one day we know we was going to die. And they saved us, Lewis. I wonder what we would do. Clearly, I'm talking about in the physical. Somebody pull a gun, cock the thing back, and get ready to shoot you. And somebody come up and say, that's my friend, don't do that. Oh, I'm about to do them in. Because I'm trying to take this money. I'm about to do them in. And don't do that. That's my friend. Well, how would you feel towards that person? Every time you saw them, what you think, yo, how you feel? Gratitude. They probably can get anything from you. They, you probably would do anything that they want when you know they saved your life. Why are we struggling with, as we said earlier, some of the things that we feel like is burdensome or get in the way of our pride? Why do many external standards seems to affect ladies more than men? I love that one. Let me give you some stuff before we close up this thing here tonight. When it comes down to holiness, women are usually challenged to present more what they wear, how they look, how they take care of their hair. All of that stuff It's usually more. And so some women say, that's unfair. I'll help you out, ladies. The reason there seem to be more standards for women in that God created men and women differently. That's no revelation, but just letting you know. Here we go now. Men are stimulated by sight. This is why Jesus said, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her had committed adultery with her already in his heart. So let me break it down a little bit more. Lady, men are stimulated by their looks. When you dress what you call cute, when you dress what you call looking good, when you dress what you call looking sexy, and it's your business because it's your body, even though we say because we're his, so it's really not your body, but whatever. When you feel like you have dressed the way you like, and you start conducting yourself, and you move around, and dude look at you and say, uh, and now he starts thinking, both of you have just committed adultery. Not just the man. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Both of you. Because you enticed them. Whether you want to admit to it. God knows. You enticed them. And the man should have never been pulled in. So both of you commit adultery in your heart. A lot of people ain't repent of those adulterous sins that we didn't physically do, but we did it in our mind. Go read the scripture. Matthew five twenty eight. No, we're not going to talk about that yet. Come on, give me a second. Let me finish this up. Go read the scripture. It says men are stimulated. It says this in Matthew whosoever looketh upon the woman to lust after her had committed adultery with her. It didn't say with himself. With her. So now, lady, you can keep on wearing your tights. Show your nice butt. Put on the bra that make your boobs look out. Do all what you want. Look good. It's yours. And that dude be like, Mmm. <laughs> uh, both of you just went down. Yes. So now you're gonna ask me, Well, why why she went? This this is my body. I understand. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I can dress the way I understand. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Be up all night repenting. A man is always attracted to a woman physically before he's connected to her emotionally. Don't fool yourself. He didn't come after you because you was nice and smart in your mind. He saw some figures that he liked and he came after you. Now eventually he realized, okay, and connect from that way. But first thing was what he saw. That is why pornography is sold almost exclusively to men. Statistics tell us that even the majority of pornography magazines published for women are actually purchased by men. Because men use their sight a whole lot. Women, on the other hand, are stimulated by touch. Either a physical touch or an emotional touch? That is why the Bible says when the Apostle Paul wrote, he give a different command concerning women. He said this, it is not good for a man to touch. He, he said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's First Corinthians 7 and 1. So while a woman is commanded to appear a certain way so that the man is not stimulated, the man is commanded to act a certain way so that the woman is not stimulated. So, brothers, that's why it's important. We can't be going to give women hugs because you giving them hugs and you're rubbing up on them, trying to stimulate them. You try to touch them. And I'm just telling you all the truth. Now y'all see why certain things. This, listen, I never implemented this in our church. But traditional apostolic church say women supposed to hug women and men hug men because of this. That's why, that's why it was said way back in the day. And we try to move away from all the back of the day stuff. But that's why it was established. Because God knew the woman, and she felt right when you hug her. Now she's stimulated. Now she's looking at you. Now she's going to commit the adultery in her heart. Because she's looking at you. Oh, he felt good when I hugged him. Oh, when he just touched me. Oh, girl. So now everybody in trouble. Now we're not holy. That is why there are more external standards for women. Now you know why, women, it's important for you to dress modest. It's important for you to look a certain way. Don't get mad talking about that's his business. He the pervert. That's what we want. We like cop-outs. Don't get mad and talking about. No, God said, if the man look upon you, why would the man look upon you? Just think if you modest and looking modest, why is he looking upon you, desiring you? But now I'm going to put on them tights that everybody wear nowadays. I'm just shaking my head. man. certain things I, I just got to tell y'all. There's just certain things I, I'm like, why, everybody? Why everybody got to run around in they tights now? What, what, why? Why is that okay now? I ain't got the tight stuff on. and they, I'm just mad. I, I, I'm, I see it all the time. Getting, like, when did this, because it's a trend. It, three years ago, they wasn't walking around in tights. Now, all of a sudden, now they got the tights on, Lou. Nothing on, nothing over it. Just like, I'm serious. It's the truth. (laughs) Darrell over there cracking up. (laughs) I'm just telling y'all the truth because I know the word of God. So I'm I'm looking a lot of times, just looking and, and, and just going over the word of God in my mind like people don't even understand. All right. I probably got to shut it off. All right. Here's the last thing I'm going to tell you. What if? What should I do if I do not feel convicted about certain standards? If all that I've just said, you saying, "Well, that's you know, I, I just don't feel what how I look, I'm okay with it." What if that's how you feel? Well, let me tell you what. First. You should carefully and prayerfully study the word of God on your own, allowing it to convict you. Many times the Holy Ghost will illuminate your understanding through the anointed preaching and teaching of God's word as well. Your responsibility is to willingly submit to God's word as it is revealed to your spirit. James tells us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our soul. The next first Saturday that's coming up, I'll get into the apparels, the hair, and finish up. But I wanted to get you going, let you know, if we're going to be good leaders, we have to understand being an example and being holy. I heard a story today, and leaders abuse their powers a lot. And if God is going to use you to be a leader, if you don't become an example and be holy, you're going to find yourself abusing your power, your authority. This is why I'm going over this. This is why I'm going over it. When you're in a leadership role, are you going to use your leadership authority like, girl, you look good. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, oh it's you and girl here. Now you wait for everybody coming. You know, you get ready to teach a series or a seminar. You say, girl, you look good at rubbing her back and all that stuff. That's unethical. That's ungodly. And so now you're abusing, you know, your responsibility as a leader. And this is why I'm teaching this. Because if we're going to lead, we got to know how to carry ourselves, how to be holy, how to be godly. We have to know how to carry ourselves. If not, we're going to find ourselves in bad situations. And a lot of people have left church because they got embarrassed. Things went wrong. And they feel like they couldn't get it together, so they just left. And they're living in sin because they couldn't recuperate from what they thought. Um, everybody's looking at, them, looking at them and talking about them. They just couldn't make it back because in their mind, everybody's talking about me. And all it came down to is because you made a mistake, you did something wrong, and now you, you just can't go back because everybody's talking about you. So I'm trying to set you up that you won't fail in the opportunities God will give you and allow you to be in in his church. That's, that's the way it works. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to have to be people of example. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to have to be holy and godly. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the word of the Lord. What I just said to you tonight, I didn't give you none of my opinion. Everything I told you tonight was biblically sound teaching that I just gave you. No opinions because that wasn't what it was for tonight. A straight word so you understand holiness. Where it's coming from. What is it all about? Why should you dress modest? Why should you look that way? We'll we'll talk about it some more. That when Adam and Eve sinned, um, they clothed themselves with fig leaves. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, that's not good enough. I got to put a coat on you. I got to cover you whole. Not just let you keep walking around here with fig leaves. That's not good enough. It's the way God do things. Any questions? Yes, sir. No they, they, what's your question? What's your question? You wanna know if you, you you save, you're living for God? what, what do you wanna know? and mm-hmm.